Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit around to talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track -track basis, pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host, Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Now then, now then. Uh, and, uh, excellent timing for a Jimmy Savile impression. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderfully bad taste. Hello, how are you? <laughs> was our... it's, it's relevant, folks. It is, it is relevant. It, uh, you, you, yeah, you're, you've worked out. You're, you're, you're a Beatles fan. You listen to this podcast. You know why the words now, then, I nearly said the word and in between, uh, are relevant at this point. It's just the first thing that popped into okay. my head, and I apologise absolutely wholeheartedly how are you jg uh well i was fine until about 30 seconds ago yeah <laughs> um, did you find good. that slightly disarming <laughs> well, it's disorienting i think is the word yeah okay. Fair um, enough. lovely Fair great enough. well we're yeah. off to a flying start um well this week we're nominally talking about kansas city hey 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 um but inevitably there's something that we need to talk about first we have new Beatles material to talk about. How wonderful to be in the middle of a Beatles podcast and have a new Beatles single come out, right? Isn't it? Isn't it interesting? I mean, we should say, you know, context. We're recording this on the eleventh um, of November, so it's been out for um, what about nine days? Because it's the second of November it came out, but this is our first opportunity to to have a chat. Um, although I should point out that. Um, if we were being steadfast and true to our core principles, we would not be reviewing this or talking about it at all until after we'd finished talking about every other Beatles release, which I have calculated is probably going to be towards the latter end of this decade. Excellent. Um, good. Core, core principles and beliefs. I'm terribly sorry, but I think you've mistaken me for someone else. Have you not read our charter? Uh, uh, well, I read the mission statement at a precy. <laughs> and anyway, is it a Beatles release? Um, yes, that's. I mean, one... yes, it's yes, it's a Beatles release, but is it a Beatles release? Yes, it is. It's Ooh. it's it's a Beatles song. I I don't have an awful lot of patience for people who are sort of saying that. Uh, oh well, you know, it's not actually a Beatles song, or it's not actually. It 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 is. They're all I, on, they're I all think... on it. It's released by the Beatles. It's credited <laughs> to the Beatles. It's released on their record label. Um, it's yeah, it's a Beatles song. You might you don't have to like it. Yeah. You don't have to think no, it's a I good know. one or not. But it is definitely a Beatles song. If the two remaining surviving members of the band say it is, it is. That's pretty much the I, end of the conversation. I think. I take I take the view it's Schrodinger's Beatles. You know, it's it's both the Beatles and not the Beatles. And and as long as you don't look too closely, it can be whatever you want it to be. That's that's perfectly fine. But a thought occurred to me this morning actually that that effectively you could take any song that was written by one of the the former Beatles and then admittedly you wouldn't be able to do it for all four, but then get contributions from the two surviving Beatles. Um, and then, hey presto, we could have another Beatles release. And the one that actually occurred to me, it was sort of going back to um, um, Get Back and think, well, actually, during that, you see George introduce um, All Things Must Pass. And so, therefore, you sort of think, well, actually, potentially, it was written with the Beatles in mind. So maybe Olivia could say to, to Paul and Ringo, hey, do you want to have a go at, um, uh, at re-recording this? And, and we could, with a you know bit of support maybe, and turn it into something that is a vaguely Beatles-y release. Now, I realise that's never going to happen, and I wouldn't want it to happen, quite frankly. But the, the thought that occurred to me was at least that was a song that was written with the intention of it being a Beatles song. It was presented to the Beatles as one of... What do you, what would you think if we could record this? Whilst I, I cannot speak of the, the mindset of John Lennon in, was it 77, 77, when he, yeah. 77 when he, he wrote the demo, I doubt very much that it was ever intended to be something that he would sort of say, say to Paul, Hey, let's sit down and, and record this. So, you know, there's an element there where I think the the naysayers, you know, potentially have a point, but on the other hand, they're killing everybody's fun and they should just shut up. I mean, I suppose it depends how much weight you want to put on the story that the tapes were labelled for Paul. So when Yoko mm. gave them to Paul, his intention was that Paul would be able to listen to them sing. I mean, they had reached a reproachment in 77. Oh, so yeah. the, so the yeah. question is, is if Lennon hadn't been murdered in 1980, would they have gone back to working together? Probably. Would there have been the opportunity to work on this song? Also possibly. But if if... John recorded them and specifically left them with a for Paul note on them. Then I also think it's fair to say it the other way. So, well, 
it kind of sounds like he did have the intention of doing that. But then, but did, I, do he, you, though? did he though? Exactly. That's did the question. He though, did he though? Really? It's a nice story. It is it? a nice story. It's it would be lovely story. if and, it was true, are, but who knows? You are, you are putting a, a lot of speculation on top of hypothesis um, and, you know, postulation. I think I may have just invented a word there. But, you know, all of that is, is so completely hypothetical that I think you just have to then strip it back and say, well, let's just look at what it is rather than thinking about what it isn't. And I think that's also another thing. People have developed their own narrative. There's there's, there's really been this this key focus, hasn't there, on, on talking about how much the words relate to the situation and oh, is it his feelings for Paul and all of that sort of thing. And you say, well, okay, I'm going to go with two bits of speculation here. One is it's unlikely, bearing in mind the, the relationships he was in at the time, it's more likely to be to one of the two women that he was particularly close to at the time. You know, I, I can't remember the chronology of where he was in his, you know, relationships at that point. But two, and, and this is, as, as listeners to this podcast, if there are any regular listeners, hello, uh, will know they could just be words. They could just have been those guide words that he got down on a piece of paper to to hone the melody. I don't know how much they were they were worked on and they were crafted. They're relatively simplistic. Doesn't mean they're not effective, but they're relatively simplistic. And because they're so simplistic, it allows people then to ascribe their own meaning and their own narrative to them. They're just a bunch of nice words, I think, that seem to fit. Maybe he would have done with more at the time. Maybe he had something in his head that they meant. But I think people maybe just need to appreciate the fact that there, there's a pleasant bunch of words in there and stop looking for, for things that almost certainly aren't there. I think as far as the lyric goes, the problem is is that we don't really have anything else to compare it to because he wasn't really writing or releasing music in 1977. So, okay, there's a handful of um, demos which have ended up as, as, as Beatles singles, but there's nothing else that we can really compare it to to say, well, what else could we look at to see whether you know we can draw from other material and and work something out it's going to be three years before double fantasy is released and double fantasy doesn't really connect much to this song particularly i mean double fantasy is a great album but it's not it's not really anything to do with this and so the question is therefore the only lyric we know that would have been worked on specifically, I suppose, is Paul's bits. Um, Paul would have found something to craft that would fit with Lennon's lyric. And I think sort of relatively successfully, I've got to say, his 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 parts don't feel particularly intrusive compared to the original. But they also have the same kind of very sort of open question approach, if you like, to uh, to meaning, which is they, they are also extremely simplistic. They're not... They're not um, they're not trying to do that tugging on the heartstrings in the way that um, what is, is it? Uh, whatever happened to the life that we once knew? Could we really live without each other in, in Freeze a Bird? Uh, I mean, they're sort of vaguely in the same direction, but they're much, much more open and I think much more effective as well. So, yeah, the, the, the whole lyric is, is, you know, it's it's pleasingly open ended. And it would be, it's I understand why people want to say, oh, well, is the subject of the song Paul, because that's that's a nice thought. You know, like, like yeah. I said, they'd reached Reproachmont. They were they were getting on. They jammed it together at this point at Harry Nielsen's house, I think, in Los Angeles. Um, and it's nice to think that that's the case. But it could be about May Pang. It could be about Yoko. It could be about any number of things. And there isn't enough in the lyric to be able to nail down that degree of specificity. But that's what makes it universal. Yeah, absolutely, of course, allows allows people to do it and. And that's fine. It, it, it is going to be whatever they want it to be. And, you know, the marketing to an extent has, um, you know, contributed to that mm. as well. And including, um, you know, the, the Peter Jackson um, accompanying montage. But we'll, we'll get onto that in, in a bit. Because I think actually someone might have got, you know, eight to ten minutes into this and, and thought, well, they all sound a bit cynical towards it. And what we haven't really done is sort of, um 
said what we like and and it, I, I actually find it quite difficult because I, I i find that i always have to to caveat it and you know by by comparing it and obviously it, it you can and you can't compare it to to beatles singles uh, songs of the past because whilst it is a beatles song you've got no idea what the beatles would sound like if they were recording as a as a unit today should they all still be alive you know it but I think one thing that's interesting for me is what I can't hear in it is is anything coming from a specific period. So I kind of think it's timeless, not necessarily in a, hey man, it's an absolute classic kind of thing, but more in a sense that I don't feel like it comes from any specific era. era. And that's just in exactly the same way as I think Free as a Bird and Real Love sound as though they're straight out of 1988 and 1989 precisely because to me they sound more like Jeff Lynne produced songs than they do Beatles songs and I think that's a big difference so the the relative absence of Jeff Lynne on this allows the character of the song and the performances to come through in a way that I think they didn't on Free as a Bird and Real Love. Yeah I think that's absolutely fair and I'll you know I'll come out and say this song is noticeably better produced than either Free as a Bird and Real Love and I think it's probably better than either of those as well Oh yeah, Um, Yeah. which is kind of interesting I know you know there's a whole thing about George saying it was fucking rubbish and it's not really clear whether he was talking about the song itself or the technical qualities of the recording but either way um, I I'll come out and also also say I just like it. It is a it is a grower. Um, I think it's it's got a nice, slightly keening, slightly melancholy and regretful air to it, which is very, very pleasing. It doesn't have any of the acidity that much of Lennon's um, pre double fantasy works has. Um, but then again, it is also just a demo, so who knows if he'd finished it, what it would have ended up being like. But it's just. It's it's sweet and it's affectionate and rather charming and I I am genuinely very pleased with it. It's it's much much better than I was expecting it to be. And um, once all the kerfuffle about artificial intelligence and all that nonsense had died down, uh, in the end, it's just uh, it's just a it's just a pleasing song. It's not going to be one of their all time classics, um, but it's not Mr. Moonlight either. So you know that's that's a win. I think one of the things that that did capture me was the fact that there is a sense of pace to it as well mm. and, and again another one of those off repeat things on here is about actually they, they the Beatles play everything with, with great gusto it's almost so almost everything could potentially have the the pace and the oomph of, of a live song and, and although there is that that very sort of delicate introduction it really gets into its stride quite quickly um, and then sort of develops that sense of momentum. And and I think that that's something that, that really works and something that is no way as forced as the, you know, the singles that accompanied Anthology. I think one uh, of were, so. I think one of the reasons for that, and you can probably guess where this is going. Jeff Lynn. No, no, well, yes, I mean, that's absolutely true. Because <laughs> Jeff Lynn isn't there. And Jeff Lynn makes everything sound static and, 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 and stagnant. Lumpy. Um, l- lumpy. But um, I think in a way, it's also, it benefits from being um, a long time since Anthology was completed. Because one of the things I think is most that's most successful about Now and Then is... Ringo, um, and one of the reasons I like him, his playing on this is that he 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 is, I think, infusing that kind of energy, um, that pace, gusto, if you to use your word, um, in the song, and I think on anthology and particularly on on Freezer Burden and Real Love. Ringo sounds like he's doing a bit of a Ringo impression. Now, I don't know whether that's the way that Jeff Lynne is producing him or maybe is sort of directing him to play in a particularly kind of like, here comes the classic Ringo style. But on on Now and Then, he just sounds like a drummer playing to the song rather than somebody doing an impression of themselves, basically. And I think that's to immense benefit of the song. Well, the story's not that that, um, Jeff Lynne would insist that he played with a click track. Uh, I think that sounds like the sort of thing that Jeff Lynne would do, and that's yeah. sort of the thing that Ringo would would kind of rail against. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think it's it's really difficult to judge it against things that have gone before because I I I'm not as sold on the the what say the harmonising um you know the the kind of the uh, the as as other people seem to be 
because I, I'm not really hearing anything that's particularly distinctly beatly in in my eyes there it's, it's effectively it's it's people singing along together but then it doesn't really matter you know because as we've said before they're, they're not trying to to you know copy stuff they've done in the past they're just trying to rework um a demo and produce something that has all of them on and i, I think that move away from effectively parodying themselves which again i think was a trap they fell into with potentially with something like free as a bird, I, I think is really beneficial. The only place in which I don't think it works, and again, this is purely subjective, um, is in that guitar solo. And I know it was, it's been said that it's meant to be, you know, Paul said it's like a tribute to George. But then, and maybe this is because we've, we've obviously been listening to a lot of the early stuff recently, but it doesn't really feel like a George solo. It's not busy enough. It's not as... I, um, it's not as interesting as varied as as uh, the kind of thing that George would play. It, it sounds just a little too too simplistic. That's not unfair. I mean, uh, the, you know, George was the best guitarist in the Beatles, and you know, McCartney is an unbelievably gifted musician. But George was a better guitar player, you know, and I don't think Paul would disagree with that. Uh, and certainly, I know that John wouldn't. John often said that. Um, George was easily the best uh, guitarist in the Beatles. Um, but I think it's a much better guitar solo than the one on Free as a Bird. Um, <laughs> because the, like, but I, I also want to clarify that because I think the guitar solo on Free as a Bird is fantastic, but it sounds absolutely fuck all like the Beatles. It just sounds like a really great George Harrison solo guitar. Uh, solo, solo guitar solo, you know what I mean. Um, it's a great piece of work, but it just doesn't have anything in common with the song. And as is again, so typical of Jess Lynn's production style, it sits on top of the track rather than feeling integrated. I definitely agree that McCartney's solo in this is much more simplistic than you would probably get, or much more, maybe maybe not even simplistic, but it, it's not as subtle as George would manage. Um, but it is much better produced, and it sits within the track much better than George's actual solo on on freeze bird oh okay that's interesting because it, it it felt like it was going in a different way to um the melody to me it felt like it was it was kind of going against the things that have come before mm. so it, it it didn't work um didn't work as well for me but you know that's that's perfectly fine um all opinions are valid well some of them clearly aren't um, and there are a lot of opinions around aren't there it's there not are, hard to know, find opinions on this, no. It's it's not. And um there are lots of people who very, very quickly manage to get their um their breakdowns of the song, their videos of their reactions and their, their breakdowns of the song and their comparisons to the demo version out on, on YouTube. I mean, I realise that that, you know, we're we're sort of guiltily adding to this and we're we're approaching twenty minutes already. But by my word, some people were quick off the mark. And, and they've got hundreds of thousands of views already, which I'm not contributing to. Um, but I thought it was very, very interesting. And in particular, there were there were lots of opinions about... And I, I think it's, it's because the, um, the marketing machine worked so, so well. There were lots of opinions about the release. And there were lots of opinions about the fact that there was no news about the release for months on end when they thought there was going to be news that really built up the tension. Then we, we found out when it was going to be, and then we saw the cover, and loads of people then went, oh. You know, so it was it was really weird. It was like, oh, is that here? Like, covers really matter these days anyway, and, you know, it's okay. It's fine. There's probably a reason for it. It doesn't matter. The, the back of it has some link to George and all of that sort of thing. You know, it's fine. And then there was the one show um, thing on BBC. Then there was the, you know, the 2 p.m. release on whatever day it was. And, and the, you know, everything embargoed up till then. And um, I don't know where you listen to it. I, I was listening on BBC Six Music. Um, and it was really cringeworthy. Because as much as I like Craig Charles, and there is a Liverpool link, obviously, I'm not overly sure he knew a great deal about the Beatles and, and he certainly hadn't really been given much info on the AI element of it as well. But it didn't really matter because when you listen to it, you just thought, oh, OK, yeah, that's all right. Because I know before, I can't remember what episode it was, but we had made reference when I think the news originally came out 
um to the 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 demos that you can hear um if you sort of scour the internet and it really didn't sound like it was that inspiring a song so they've done really really well with it and and part of that is is also taking out the 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 Lennon middle eight as well which just wouldn't have worked at all I think um, so although you pretty much get verse, chorus, verse, chorus, guitar, solo, verse, chorus, it's no less effective for that. But the marketing machine has been incredibly efficient at generating opinions on this to the point where it's, isn't it, the the, the biggest selling thing in this period rather than that period ever in the last six years or something? I don't know. I, 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 one, I believe that it is, yeah. Uh, but don't ask me to call the... <laughs> of the last twenty odd years, despite the fact that for a lot of those years people weren't buying vinyl singles. Um, most download something or other, um, with the exception of, I don't know. I was going to say random act. I'm not even going to bother there. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. Um, it has done phenomenally well. And also the biggest gap between a number one single of any act, fifty four years between uh, the Ballad of John and Yoko and uh, Now and Then. Oh, isn't it? I thought it was biggest gap between first and last, or is it biggest gap between? No, I think it's biggest gap between between, between number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say because it was biggest gap between first and last, and uh, be say, oh, come on, Cliff. Where's your Christmas simple? <laughs> let's 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 get that you know Cliffy the Beatles banter going. Um, that'd be quite funny. Speaking of that that sort of band rivalry, I have to say we we normally talk about cover versions of of songs um, that the Beatles have recorded. Now you might think it's quite difficult to talk about um, cover versions of songs uh, of of now now and then, but it's not. And this is due to AI. I was listening earlier to an AI-generated version of Oasis as they, they would be <laughs> if they were playing now and then. And I think it's pretty special, actually. I think it's really reminiscent of some um, early Oasis B-sides. And that's actually a compliment because Oasis had some really good B-sides. Um, and, and I think it's certainly much better than the AI-generated 1964 Beatles version of Now and Then, which is which is not great, with the one exception, and this sort of links back to something you said, the drumming in the chorus is so reminiscent of those those kind of frenetic drum patterns that Ringo would put in um on say the chorus of Hard Day's Night. You know, when the when the mood really shifts and suddenly you've you've got some something incredibly expressive and frenetic. And he's just hammering away at an almighty rhythm. They've got that down. So AI's picked up that. But apart from that, it's a slight um it's a slight anticlimax. Fair enough. Fair enough. But but worth worth a listen. Definitely worth a listen. Um should we mention the Peter Jackson video? I mean we probably should, but it's crap, so I mean I don't know I don't really know what else to say about it. It it's really cheesy and not in a not in a particularly fun way. You know, uh like you mentioned, um the song itself sounds timeless because it doesn't sound like it's one specific era. However, um, George is very clearly lifted from the Hello Goodbye video and, and, and John Lennon couldn't Which really... Which he hated. Yeah, exactly. Which is not great tribute. And, and, and Lennon couldn't really look more distinctive if he tried. It's such a weird thing. I mean, like, I'm pleased they didn't try and do like a... Like a CGI, uh, like old man version of Lennon yeah. or something. So I, I suppose at least it's actually him. And I know there's virtually no footage of him from 1977 that could be included. So, so that kind of that went that opportunity is closed down as well. But it's still rubbish. It's not even particularly well done from you know the alleged master of special effects, uh, Peter Jackson, and all the. But also, do people? Uh, this is a genuine question because I'm phenomenally out of touch. Do people really give a shit about videos anymore? Is that still a thing? Promotional device. Um, something to watch on YouTube, isn't it? Um, or for something that someone could do a breakdown of on on YouTube <laughs> or see their reaction to. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, I made the, the twelve-minute. Sorry, the twelve-minute making of is great. That's on YouTube, and it's fantastic. I really enjoyed watching that. The video itself. I noted down the 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 um the fact that they took 
George from Hello Goodbye just seemed really, really odd because he looks like he's not enjoying wearing that outfit at all. So it doesn't really feel like a tribute. Um, but the weird thing for me is is actually what that and Lennon and his cream jacket kind of accompanies, which is the shots of Ringo and Paul singing. Yeah. It's just, just and I've written, and I quote myself here, really, 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 really odd. It almost looks like Ringo's never sung into a microphone in his life before. <laughs> and they're certainly not in the same room. That that has to be a spliced image. Every, everything about that scene is just weird and wrong. It just, it doesn't... Like, again, I suppose I understand what they're trying to do, which is all like, here's all your disparate elements coming together, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, it, you know, it's not like, like, oh, God, it's just I was going to say something about the video to freeze a bird, which is really corny, but it's got a slight, yeah. it's got a bit of charm to it. And it, it's it's upfront about what it's doing. Here's your nostalgia wank for like four minutes. Enjoy. So it's just it's just a strung together bunch of references. This really seems to think that it's, I don't know, out to achieve something or be a bit special. And it's just it's it's sort of slightly sub Doctor Who levels of special effects. Um, um splicing together footage for no readily apparent reason. Can I just speak directly to the listener for a second? Uh, 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 listener, um can I apologize? JG's been particularly sweary today and I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is quite unusual. We're not really a, a, a blue podcast, although you know swearing is my middle name. But um, I don't think he's been getting enough sleep. Um, anyway, sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I do agree with what you're saying. Um, I, I've only really got one thing left that, that I, I want to say on this, and, and we're about to hit the 27, 28 minute mark, um, in that it it doesn't sound like they're trying. And I, that's a good thing, because everything I've heard of the new Rolling Stones album really sounds like they're trying very very hard to be the Rolling Stones and hip and happening man. Mm. And again, subjective opinion, they have their billions of dollars and they're perfectly fine um, and they're not going to be affected by little old me. Um, but, oh dear, it sounds tired. Mm. Uh, I haven't I haven't listened to Hackney Diamonds yet. I don't know whether I'll get round to it or not. But uh, yeah, it it does sound like uh, it, it sounds like it's screaming like me. Hackney Diamonds, hackneyed diamonds, more like <laughs> excellent work. Uh, uh, right, uh, segue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yes, and on that note, um, shall we move on and talk about the song that we are actually meant to be talking about this week? Hey, which... hey, hey, hey. Yes, let's let's do it. So Kansas City, hey 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 hey. Um, three chords, two songs, one recording. Go. It's fun. It's fun. I, I think this is. I, I think there's a really good McCartney vocal on this, and I think this is what a um a good Beatles cover um should be like. You could sort of sort of stick it there with yeah, obviously not up there with you know Twist and Shout and um and Money for example. There's been really good examples of powerful rocking covers, and and I think it works. I mean, I've got more to say than than that, but I, th I think that's that's a good place to start. And I'm judging from your facial expressions that you may not be on the same page as me. No, I actually am. My facial expressions are betraying me. Um, I I do <laughs> I do really enjoy as is always the way. I do I do really enjoy this cover it it's a nice little shot of energy i agree with you i think it's terrific uh mccartney vocal it's interesting that two cover versions that you cited there twist and shout and money are both lennon um but this is really mccartney going mm -hmm. flat out and and it works incredibly well it's another one take wonder you know they just did it that was it moved on with their lives um and in an album that hasn't had a great deal of energy kind of shot through it um i think it's a really a really necessary thing to be there because I, I don't when i say it doesn't necessarily have a lot of energy to it i don't necessarily mean that as a criticism i mean i'll follow the sun isn't an energetic song it doesn't mean it, it's a bad song or whatever hmm. but it's 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 a quiet little ballad uh babies in black is this sort of weird sort of 50s 
you know, kind of waltz time thing. Um, you know, but here we have something which has got a bit of strength, a bit of power, and it kind of reminds you of what the band are capable of doing. Even rock and roll music, I, I stand by our criticism of that as a cover version. It should have achieved the same thing, but it kind of doesn't. Um, this is a much, much stronger cover version. So I mean, the interesting thing, just to, for people who've not listened to that episode, you should listen to it because we kind of make I make the case that it's it's not even a particularly good Chuck Berry song, um, but what we've got here is um, you know fairly solid good songwriting, Lieber Stoller, um, and and actually then you've got that sort of craft um, and inventiveness of Little Richard who put these two songs or yeah his own composition together with kansas city in order to build something that was was you know more than the sum of its parts and i i believe that um the the beat was actually watched little richard perform this medley and then that they took that rather than take the one song and think oh what should we do let's put it with this they saw it already being done like this and performed it which again is very much in line with the the beatles covers that we've talked about before there's not a huge amount of, of of invention but what there is is real craft and and skill and energy in terms of the performance and i think that's that's fascinating in itself i mean it was something that that did appear in the live act it then got dropped it did come back um into the live set at one point but we'll talk about that um in a moment but it's it's just it's just such a good song. Um, and, and I don't really kind of understand why someone might look at this and think, well, you know, it's not one of their best or it's not one of those great cover versions. I think this this song's probably been sort of lurking in, in the back of their minds for a while. One thing I said when we did the episode on Little Child was that I, I, I kind of forgot that it was actually, um, it wasn't a cover version. And I think when they were writing little child i suspect that they were inspired by certain bits certain terms of the rhythm and the pace and the power of something like kansas city because i think there are similarities between the two so it's a song that they've lived with it's a song that they clearly like and have fun playing and can do quickly as well so you know what it i think it works as as that kind of uplift um, you know, now we're getting to the the end of side one that this record desperately needs. Absolutely, and it gives you a reason to flip over to side two. You know, you actually have a conclusion to the first side. It doesn't just stop or end. Um, that's incredibly important as well. And everybody feels really engaged in this as well. Um, again, a couple of the other songs we've talked about in side one, I don't know that that's necessarily always been the case. Um, I mean, no reply and I'm a loser, yes, but much of the rest of it, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bit, it's a bit hither and thither. Um, he says, desperately trying to avoid uh, BS bingo. Uh, it's just <laughs> nice to have a song where everybody feels like they're throwing themselves at it with the energy and vivacity that it requires. Um, and even 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 Lennon's slightly sarcastic backing vocals in the hey, 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 hey section, just like they don't feel mean-spirited or sour or anything like that. They're just quite funny. Um, yeah. And it's it's nice. And it doesn't undercut McCartney, who's still going flat out. It's, it's a great little, it's a great little addition. And it shows how effective that side of Lennon can be when it's used in that kind of way. Yeah. So what is it about songs about places and in particular, I think, American places that sound so much better than the actual place themselves? Because if you if we were going to sort of do a list of the, the, the 30 best American cities to um, to go and visit as a, as a tourist, Kansas City's not going to make it. And I gather as well, um, I was sort of doing a little bit of reading that Lieber Stoller, uh, neither of them, before they wrote the original, which was called Kansas City Lovin', uh, it was the original title, neither of them had actually been to Kansas City, but there's clearly something about the image that those names create that, that have that kind of impact. Yeah, it was same with Detroit as well. Um, I, don't, I don't think anybody's probably going to be, sorry to any Detroit listeners, uh, I don't mean to uh, put your city down, but I, I do believe it does have, have some ongoing issues at the moment. Uh, I don't know that it necessarily top out anybody's list of uh, 
first choice tourist destinations but detroit is a great word and it's a fun word to sing and you know honestly it might there just it might just come down to that same with kansas it's got that dung dung it's got a good like punch to it maybe the plosive of the k and then the the rhythm of the the s sounds from sass and city exactly you know, that, that sort of um yeah that that probably has an effect as well i don't know maybe if you get that's... the same with if i'm going to sheffield city i don't know whether it would have the well, but you know it, maybe it would well, i don't know I was going to say maybe it was maybe it was those sounds that inspired Level Forty Two to write their seminal uh, early eighties classic Kansas City Milkman. Um, I, I don't know, but you know it, it's 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 weird how the places do have that impact, isn't it? I mean, because one of the other great songs um, about the state of Kansas, although of course I know I know Kansas City is in both Missouri and in kansas right a little aside there the other one of the other great songs about um um kansas is the phenomenal wichita lineman absolutely and and wichita what heck kind of word is is wichita i i, I was wondering you know i sort of originally started thinking and the more you think about this then the deeper it gets it surface level thinking is best for this because i was thinking are there any songs about you know hebden bridge whitley bay eastbourne or the isle of thanet you know, or were there any? But they, they wouldn't sound as as you know as romantic. Nice as some of those places are. But then, of course, you get into it. Well, all right, we've got Waterloo Sunset, and although it doesn't mention a place, it's about a place. You're homeward bound. I mean, it mentions it. Doesn't mention it in the title. I think it does mention it in the song. Fog on the. I, I then came up with a, with a list, and some of them are, are really quite dour, but but some of them work. Fog on the Tyne. I don't want to go to Chelsea. Uh, one of Morrissey's least interesting choruses, Dagenham Dave, Dagenham Dave, Dagenham Dave. And then thought, oh, Wuthering Heights. What an amazingly evocative song about. But it's not as romantic as, um, as you know, Kansas City sounds. Um, you know, Eddie Grant's going to rock down to Electric Avenue in, in Brixton. But it doesn't, it's not as evocative. And then we get into good old-fashioned wing song london town <laughs> thank you I'll, I'll give them i'll give them mull of kintyre um that's kind I of did then cons- i didn't do a little bit of google those were just ones that came with the top of my head but i was reminded of um a list that bob stanley came up with for the times bob stanley gets mentioned here a lot um and that was the the awesome Chaz and dave dave song margate right down to margate love that and then of course how could I forget? How could I forget um, Captain Sensible's classic Croydon? Well, yes. Which mentions, you know, it mentions going to Stanley Tech, which, okay, wasn't the school that I went to, but it was pretty darn close. And one of the ones that we occasionally had um, little interactions with, um, for example, um, you know, but it, they're not evocative in, in the romantic sense. They're evocative more in some of these in the nostalgic sense. And I think that that sort of makes a difference. I'm impressed that you managed to mention um, Fog and the Tiny, but somehow Ferry Across the Mersey seems to have slipped your mind. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. That, uh, that, that should have come up, shouldn't it? But, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And actually, this morning I was listening to, um, here's a tangent, um, um, the, the Bangles cover of I'm Going Down to Liverpool. Um, which Because my brother had that, that Bangles album. I can't remember which one it was. But but nominally, that album cover is also meant to be like a parody of, uh, or you know, pastiche of Hard Day's Night in the in in the way that the photos are arranged. Although it's it's very different stylistically, um, and but I'm I'm going down to Liverpool. It's, it's quite an interesting song for for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you wouldn't expect the Bangles to be singing about being unemployed in Liverpool and having nothing to do. But secondly, it's actually a cover of a song um from you know early 80s new wave band latterly eurovision winners winners even the waves as in katrina and the waves that was that was interesting even then the member of katrina and the waves or the waves at that point that wrote that song um oh i've forgotten his name now kimberly but i can't remember the surname um was previously a member of the Soft Boys with Robin Hitchcock. And you just think, you know, so many rabbit holes that you can go down in this that that just to sort of to 
you know, go back slightly earlier in the episode that now and then kind of takes you away from because so many of these these really interesting things and connections that that I hadn't considered with some of these songs before. I love delving back into those and, and listening to me. I have a very cursory knowledge of, of the soft boys. So then start having a listening to some of that and then it's kind of have your mind blown and then go in other directions. And the Robin Hitchcock angle, it's obviously, you know, quite useful for us because we're also big fans of R.E.M. Um, so there's all these things that are going on and all of this started with you and me sitting down and saying, okay, well, the next one we're going to talk about is Kansas City. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, that's where it goes. Um, it's also interesting that, you know, you're saying British voices wouldn't necessarily conjure up the same uh, the same romanticism mm. or the same kind of uh, imagery as American places. But of course, until the Beatles, the, the, uh, the cultural convection currents yeah. only ran in one direction and yeah. they ran from America Absolutely. to the United Kingdom. The Beatles were the first ones to break that down, obviously. Um, but it never quite, the same thing never really worked in reverse. So you you well, don't get a lot of that. Some time. You, you get bits of it with kind of sixty six and Carnaby Street, but you know you it's get not the, quite the, the generic. Same. You know, um, American arriving in London, you know, um, and London calling, playing. You know, mm. that London calling gets used a lot. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. such a TV and film trope that's that's really really irritating. It's even made into Bond that, film. Did it really? Yeah, oh, yeah. God. Although it was Die Another Day, so if nobody remembers that, that's entirely understandable. Okay, fair enough. Is is that a Piers Brosnan and, and film? Or... Uh, it, it, yeah, it's his last one. Okay. It's the one Madonna's fair in. Enough. Let's just leave it at that, shall we? It's the one what? It's the one Madonna's in. Okay, I think I've just proved that I've never seen that one. <laughs> You've um, not okay. seen it much. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so the the Kansas Kansas City in itself is is interesting in relation to to this because. I mentioned earlier that it dropped off the um, um, the Beatles set list fairly early on. The the one time it was then brought back in was the one time they played in Kansas City on the 17th of September 1964. And they opened the gig with it, which in my mind shows a lot of nows, you know, um, and also shows that they can, they can pick it up at any point. I think there were 32 concerts on on that tour um and i think if i'm correct in in the research that i did in this according to setlist.fm crowdsourcing is the only time on the whole tour they played a song from with the beatles there you go. apologies beatles for sale get it right um so <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't pick me up in time on that one now i know that the album wasn't out yet but they had recorded a significant portion of it and they hadn't thought of those as being, you know, worthy of um, um, of sticking in the um, the set list at that point, which I think is 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 worthy of note. The other thing that I think is is you know relatively worthy of note is that it's yet another place the Beatles played that no longer exists. They were playing in a um, the Kansas City Municipal Stadium, and it's now looking at Street View, a fairly mundane. Um, housing estate um, in Kansas City um, but it was a stadium of note um, our American listeners and we do have in terms of the listeners we have a large proportion of our American will know that um, that Jackie Robinson one of the most famous baseball players of all time did play a season there in the, the league that was set up specifically for um, um, black Americans uh, to play in it's also, you know, bearing in mind that the song does mention, um, you know, um, Kansas City Plaza at 12th and Vine. It's about half a mile away from, or mile and a half away from that place, even though technically, and yes, I have been on um, on Google Maps to check this, technically 12th and Vine don't actually intersect. Although there is a, a kind of like a, a, a memorial reference to it now. Um, I get a feeling as well that it wasn't necessarily... Th- it's it's a weird concept that one because at that point they managed to negotiate uh, what's believed to be the highest single fee for for um, any of their concerts at that point. It was a hugely inflated one, but one of the reasons for that was that the um, the owner of the other baseball team uh, that were playing, I think Kansas City Royals at the time, he 
deliberately negotiated uh, with um, Brian Epstein for them to fill in a rest day. And so the Beatles actually kind of resented, not just that they they um, they they had one of their few rest days on their tour filled in, but it was obviously traveling a long way to somewhere that was far away from a lot of the other gigs. And that I think Charles Finley was the name um, of the, the, the owner of the team in the stadium. He managed to get um, everything um, publicized as being Charles Finley presents the Beatles. So it was almost as though he was trying to use it as his own personal stamp of um of you know authority and and look at me aren't i down with the kids um whether or not he made any money out of it because i think you know it was something like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they they got paid or rather nems probably got paid for that um which is a huge huge amount of money and i'm sure we could find an online converter it's probably still not taylor swift money but you know what is um so there's so there's some interesting little connections there um, and again, those rabbit holes that, that are worth uh, worth delving into. You can just imagine what the reaction would have been from uh, people in, in Kansas. And it, chances are that Paul probably did one of his rambling kind of, oh, hello, everyone. Uh, we're going to do a song that you might know some of the words to kind of kind of speech at the start. Um, haven't quite honed the craftsmanship <laughs> in, in terms of uh, the show at that point. It takes but, time yeah. to learn that stuff. <laughs> it takes time to learn that stuff. It does. It does. Yeah. I mean, they'd only been playing live for about eight years. So, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I find all of that fascinating and, and actually more fascinating than the song because the song is is fun. And, and that's the crucial part. I mean, we're not going to sort of delve into the lyrics. Um, you know, we could sort of talk about the fact that the hey, 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 call and respond bit really is just so much fun and effective and should have been a real laugh on stage as well and also the kind of thing that you could probably just keep going and going and going um yeah if you were really in the vibe for it so you know it, it's not it, it's not an absolute classic it's it's strong filler but it's still filler but by heck this album needs a bit of fun Absolutely. That that sounds very much like we're we're shuffling our way towards a a conclusion around this. So um, yeah, shall and, we? And worth uh, pointing out, folks, if if you're gonna um, email in and complain about all the songs that mention places that are blindingly obvious that I've missed, don't bother because there there's a hundred million websites that do that kind of thing, and um and you know you could carry on for for days and days and days because places are a little bit like like love isn't it it's just something that people throw in because as we said earlier they just sound nice absolutely well um speaking of email and i trust that you will you'll be happy to go with flawless segueing as always we do in this podcast sure. um we did do... someone really get a hold of us yes somebody has really got a hold of us in this case it is glenn from sydney in australia thanks for getting in touch glenn uh glenn writes uh good day hope all is well i am not going to try and do an accent because he is from australia and i am from scotland yeah, and don't. i cannot do accents so we're just gonna leave that unless uh unless there's a strong demand for me to do an Australian accent in the future, which there will not be. Anyway, Glenn writes, um, I've been enjoying the podcast, but I have to say I'm a loser was not your best effort. A couple of quick points. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Glenn says, uh, Lennon is moving to the first person narrative that has become a hallmark of so much of his best work. This is a fine meditation on the chaos that is his life and the bittersweet feelings of being on top of the world, yet feeling hopelessly inadequate. I don't think Dylan was writing anything as poignantly personal in 1964, though yes, the acoustic guitar strum is heavily influenced by listening to free wheeling a lot as always context is everything a point we would very much agree with um and i'm not too sure whether other cultural reference points he had for such a set counterpoint to his astonishing success it is quite brilliant uh these are still beatlemania records they still have they are still having to work within that template and hence it is an upbeat fab tune uh, but balanced with a darker tone something he use here to repeat soon with help George's guitar solo and playing uh, generally, as with all of his Beatles for Sale stuff. Uh, this is George's twangiest country stroke rockabilly flavoured album. Yes, it is. Uh, and pure Buck Owens slash Carl Perkins. And the solo is a motif reflective of the way that he is riffing on the chords. And it is a perfect complement to the tone of, and feel of the song. And again, 
for 1964 is fantastic. He did the same solo, uh, he did the same with the solo, sorry, uh, as All My Loving, and his work here is equally good and it really makes the song. Anyway, enough nerding out about fabs. I've said, as I've said, I've been enjoying the podcast, but this one drifted just a tad. Thanks for reading, <laughs> Glenn. Thanks, Glenn. We yeah. really appreciate that you got a hold of us. Yeah, Glenn, you're, you're, abs- I mean, you're absolutely right in terms of, of that's not necessarily... A little secret, uh, Glenn. At one point, it looked like we might have lost the audio for that. And I was pleased because it meant <laughs> we could have got to re-record it. However, JG um, was was more relieved that we found the audio again um, and so that he could edit it into something like a, a coherent episode. Um, okay, I, I think I would rather... I, I knew on the day that, that perhaps that wasn't our finest effort. However... You know, as is fast becoming my favourite word, subjectivity is 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 crucial here, and and you know it's not one that that really sings for me. But then that's that personal emotional response. That's fine. I, I don't think it quite matches the the heights of of what um, Dylan was coming up with at that point. Maybe maybe because as I think one of the things we we may have alluded to is the fact that Dylan, of course, is coming up with so much material at that point, whereas, of course, Lennon is one element of contribution towards a, a larger whole as well. So there's a bit more pressure on Dylan to hone the craft. And if you look at, um, I can't remember if we said it on the episode, was it, I think, the freewheeling Bob Dylan, he recorded something like 15 or 16 tracks in a day, of which not all even appeared on, on the album. And he just got in there and got it done. Um, so, yeah, that's fine. Um, I... I Thank you for for being um, being a listener and getting in touch as well. We really appreciate that. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm going to require JG to edit out the last thirty seconds of me stumbling at this point because now I am just kind of stumbling like we did on the episode. Hooray! Excellent. What continuity we have? Um, I mean, I agree with all of that. Uh, I don't really have much else to add. So let's just give Kansas City a score and then we can wrap this up as done. Six, please. Six. And we are perfectly matching today. I'm also going to give it six. It's a fun song. That's great. I'm very happy with it. Time to move on. That was a high energy end to the episode. <laughs> well, um, as... so much deliberation and debate there. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can... It's very difficult for us to argue a point if we've both given something exactly the same score. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. such is life. Oh, well. And as Glenn has, you can really get a hold of us. Uh, you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. Uh, we are Beatlesstuffology on Instagram. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scott. Uh, please also check out my other podcast, which is Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert, apparently me, uh, go through the original Star Trek series episode by episode. Please like, rate, and review us on whatever podcatcher you're using so that more people can find this podcast. And we are very pleased to say that people have been finding our podcast. And thank you to all our new listeners. It's lovely to have you on board. Next episode, it's time to flip the disc and cover eight days a week. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening. <laughs>